Welcome to MTZ Overflow Podcast. In this sermon episode, Reverend Dr. Marcus Allen is preaching from the title, The Method of Unity. We're glad you're here. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse number 1. If you're able to stand, please stand in reading of God's holy word. In reverence to reading of God's holy word, Ephesians chapter 4. Starting at verse number one, and if you're able to stand, please stand reverence to reading of God's holy word. Hey, everybody online. Hey, how y'all doing? We miss y'all in the building. Amen. Amen. But we want to say hey to y'all. Amen. Make sure y'all feel a part of this worship experience. Amen. So, hey, everybody online. Amen. Text in it. Take text some good in the message box or something. Say some good. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1, and it reads as following. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I want to preach from the topic today, the method of unity. The method of unity. Amen. I heard Pastor uh, Reginald Sharp tell a story about a rat who looked through a crack in the wall only to discover that the farmer and his wife was opening a package with a rat trap inside of it. Retreating to the barnyard, the rat proclaimed the warning, there's a rat trap in the house. The chicken clucked and raised her head and said, excuse me, Mr. Rat, I can tell this grave concern to you, but it is no consequence to me. I am not bothered by the rat trap. The rat trap, the, I'm sorry, the rat turned to the pig and told the pig, there's a rat trap in the house. I'm so very sorry, Mr. Rat, sympathized the pig, but there's nothing I can do but pray. Be assured you're in my prayers. The rat turned to the cow for support, but like the others, the cow was unbothered by the rat trap. That very night, a sound was heard throughout the house, like the sound of a rat trap catching its prey. Farmer's wife rushed to see what was caught in the darkness. She did not see that a venomous snake whose tail was caught in the trap. The snake bit the farmer's wife, and he rushed her to the hospital. She returned home with a fever. Now, everyone knows you treat a fever with fresh chicken soup. So the farmer took his hatchet to the barnyard for the soup main ingredient, the chicken. His wife's sickness continued, so friends and neighbors and family came to sit with her around the clock to feed them. The farmer had to butcher the pig. 
The farmer's wife did not get well. She died, and so many people came to her funeral that the farmer had to slaughter the cow in order to provide, provide enough meat for everyone to eat. The moral of the story is this. The next time you hear that someone is facing a problem and think that it does not concern you, remember that when there is a rat trap in the house, the whole barnyard is at risk. Let me try that one more time. When there's a rat trap in the house, the whole barnyard is at risk. And this is the theme of the message that a unified community can handle the presence of traps. To live in unity requires looking out for others, sacrificing your desires for the betterment of the whole, and being committed even when what is going on does not impact you in a positive manner. Matter of fact, it took a unified effort to bring this whole world into existence. The Bible says in the beginning, God, the Father, created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness came upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Genesis 1 and 26, and the Bible says, God said, let us make man and male and female in our image, signifying that creation was a group project and not an individual task. It took unity to create the world, but it also took unity to bring Jesus into the world. In Luke chapter 1, Mary asked the angel, how could this be? How could I be a virgin but deliver into this world uh, the promised Messiah? And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of God will hover over you, and the Holy One will come from you. I wish I had a witness here. It, it, and I, I want to ask the question, if God is moving as a unified force, what makes us think we can do life alone? Let me try that one more time. If God is moving as a unified force, what makes us think that we can do life alone? When I was younger, in my early 20s, and felt alone, I made a statement that since I came in this world by myself, and when I die, I'll be by myself. So right now, I don't need nobody else. I found this statement to be extremely untrue and unreliable because being alone is a tricky place to be in. You don't have anyone to bounce your ideals off of. You are constantly having to deal with, having to encourage yourself because you feel as if you can't trust anyone else. You, you are constantly fatigued and burned out because you are unable to take a break because you're forced to carry your burdens all by yourself. You fall into traps because you don't have anyone to tell you where you should or should not go. God created us to live in partnership with someone else other than ourselves. God created the world, and after each day of creating the world, he said it was good. However, after noticing Adam in the garden working by himself, he declares it's not good for man to be alone. There's an African proverb that declares if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Let me try that one more time. If you want to go fast, go alone. 
But if you want to go far, go together. And all this month, all I'm trying to preach to you all, that it is better that we're together than apart. And if any place where there should be unity or unity is exemplified, it should be the church. However, flawed sinners who are saved by grace make up this organization called the church. And because of this, often the very people we are attempting to bring in have been pushed out. Many young adults have separated from the church because of some form of church hurt. Relationships have been shattered because of negative attitudes of lifelong Christians towards babes in Christ. And often we have this clashing of the generations. So the question today just may be, how can we live in unity? How can we live in unity? I'm glad that you asked. You can live in unity, number one, by understanding the worth of your calling. By understanding the worth of your calling. Paul is the writer of this letter to the church in Ephesus. And at this time, he is in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to this church because he had heard of their love for Jesus. Paul's message to this church emphasizes how God has allowed Jews and Gentiles to be united together as one people because of Christ. Paul in this in his first three these first three chapters of Ephesians, he informs the church of the salvific work of Jesus Christ. He instructs them that they have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world, that they had been adopted by Christ because it pleased God's will. It is because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that we all have been redeemed through the blood of the cross. Through We have been forgiven for our sins and we have experienced the riches of God's grace. Okay, if you can't shout about that, I don't know what you can shout about. That we've been redeemed through the blood of Christ. We've been forgiven of all of our sins and we have experienced the riches of God's grace. Let me try it one more time. We have been redeemed, which means he brought us back. He paid for us. He sacrificed himself. We have been forgiven, which means uh, our, our, our sins have been wiped away and forgotten about. And we can now move forward. Why? Because of the riches of God's grace. God's grace is God's unmerited favor that he gives us what we don't deserve. I wish I had a witness. And he puts favor on our lives. <laughs> Paul, Paul says, and because of the work of Christ, I, Paul, I am a prisoner of the Lord. He has captured me with his love. I attended a vow renewal a few weeks ago when Pastor Anderson told his wife uh, of 30 years as they renewed their vows. He says, baby, if you was a prison, I want to be locked in your prison for life. I like that. Amen. And this is the sentiment of Paul. I am under the control of God. 
I no longer have rights, but I have a responsibility to serve the Lord all of my life. Paul urges the saints, uh, because of what Christ has done for us, let us walk worthy of his calling. To walk in the biblical context means to live. What Paul is saying to the church and what God is telling us today is that we should live in a way that honors the one who called us. This call suggests that we were alerted that we were going down the wrong way, but God called us to the right way. This call stopped us from destroying our lives. And many of us can truly remember the call of God. We remember that it was a call that may have been a life-changing circumstance where you knew I needed to get back to the Lord. This call may have came from a song or a sermon where you're finally able to hear the voice of God telling you you're a royal priesthood, you're a chosen generation, you're a king and a queen, you're above and not beneath, you're a lender and not the borrower. This call changed your life. So Paul says, since he called you, walk like it. Live like it. Please, please, please know that we don't walk worthy of the call so that God can love us. We walk worthy of the call because God does love us. Our walk is motivated out of gratitude. Not out of desire to earn merit, but out of the spirit of thanksgiving. I worship him not to earn credit, but to tell him thank you. I wish I had a witness because I understand the worth of my calling. And the worth of my calling suggests that I did not deserve this grace, but God freely gives me this grace. And since he has given me something I did not deserve, I must give him everything that he deserves. He deserves all my praise. He deserves all of my worship. He deserves all of my hallelujahs. He deserves all of my thank you, Jesus. He deserves all of my praise. He deserves me living a holy and righteous life. We can live in unity when we understand the worth of our calling. But we also can live in unity when we unashamedly live the Christian elements of unity. Unashamedly live the Christian elements of unity. Here Paul issues the elements on how to keep the unity. Uh, uh, he says, walk worthy of your calling <clears throat> with lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, and love. And if we're honest with ourselves, these are the ingredients for a healthy relationship between friends, families, and spouses. Lowliness is just another word for humility. <clears throat> this word in the Greek means to have a deep sense of your own littleness. <laughs> let, let, me, let me try this. Lowliness is it's to have a deep sense of of your own littleness. This is understanding, Lord, I'm nothing by myself. I wish I had a witness. And where I am is because somebody helped me along the way. 
Uh, have I got any witnesses in the house that you can testify who I am? He made me. Where I am, he brought me. What I have, he gave it to me. I wish I had a witness here that you learn how to humble yourself. Because pride corrupts fellowship. Because you will always make things about you when you're prideful. But when you learn how to humble yourself, it'll take you farther than what you can ever imagine. Because the Bible says God resists the proud, but he exalts the humble. So the lower I go, the higher he'll take me. I wish I had a witness here. The, the, the more I put myself in his hand, the farther he'll be able to take me in this life. So if, if lowliness is how we handle ourselves, then gentleness is how we handle other people. Let me try that one more time. If, if lowliness is how we should handle ourselves, then gentleness is how we should handle other people. We should live by the golden rule. Treat others how you want them to treat you. Which suggests you should be giving that same grace you're asking God for. <clears throat> you got to learn how to be gentle with people. I, I, I know they've been mean to you. I know they were cruel with you. But the Bible says we wrestle not. I wish I had a witness here. Against flesh and blood. You better learn how to approach and handle people gently. Now, I'm not telling you to be weak. I'm not telling you to be a pushover. Because you can get people told without cussing them out. Am I right about it? You'll know how I feel. I'll get you together real quick. Without using bad words. Matter of fact, you'll, get, you'll walk away feeling better that you knew how you treated me and I ain't like it. Paul says lowliness and gentleness. But then this word long-suffering. It always, it always gets me. Because this word long-suffering, it is also a fruit of the Spirit. Rich suggests that all Christians should have this attribute about them in their lives. That you can be able to have patience. Help me today, God. That uh, Long-suffering means to be slow to desire revenge from a wrong. Paul is informing the church and all of us today that relationships with anybody would, would, would not always come with sunny skies and bright days. I wish I had a witness here. Ain't anybody been married for a long time? You know what it is to have, have to have to deal with some long suffering. I, I ain't telling marriage is bad, but what I'm saying is uh, your spouse would all, not always do things that'll make you happy. Your friends would not always do things to make you jump for joy. Your, your, your peers would not always lift you up or tell you you're doing a great job, but, but you got to learn how to endure until God implements meant to change. Uh, have I got a witness here? Finally, Paul says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing 
with one another in love. This word bearing in the Greek, it means to hold up or to sustain. Paul is suggesting that in order for any relationship to stand, love must be the foundation. And true love, true love will keep your partner from falling. Let me say this. Because when you love your partner and your partner loves you, you both would do everything to make sure you're always upright. I wish I had a witness here. So Paul says, do this in love and true love will keep you. And love covers a multitude of sin. Love, it blots out wrongs, but it exposes strengths. And I believe the psalmist had it correct when he stated, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, his love lifted me. These are the elements of unity, but you must endeavor to keep the unity. To endeavor means you must make an effort. To be intentional, it means to diligently labor. Paul is informing the church being unified requires some work. Any team understands that it takes time to build a, a cohesiveness and to move as a team and to be as a unit. It takes work. I have to work on loving you when you despitefully misuse me. I have to work on taming my tongue when I want to cuss you out. I have to work on praying for you even though you don't like me. Paul is telling us today that we have work to do and keeping the unity of the spirit. Notice that we do not work to create unity. God does that. We got to work on keeping unity. I, I know I'm not making this up. This right here in the Bible. Let me go back. Let me go back to what the scripture says. There, there it says, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity. Okay, yeah, y'all got quiet on me. He, he, he's not saying that you must create the unity. You must keep the unity. Which means you have to make sure if the knot is coming loose, you go back and tighten it up. Yes, Lord. You, 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 you have to make sure if communication is breaking down, you got to go back and figure out how can we make this better. You have to work on keeping the unity. Finally, I'm finished. Question is today, how can we live in unity by understanding the worth of your calling? By unashamedly living the Christian elements of unity. And then finally, you must be united to Christ. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you. In order to truly connect with others down here, you must be connected with him upstairs. Paul shows us in this final portion of scripture the reason we can have an active, effective union with others is because of how God operates in unity. 
Paul points out seven one statements to emphasize the oneness in which we share in the gospel. It is important to note that Ephesians 4 is not teaching us unity at any cost, but it's teaching us is unity at the cost of Christ. Because Christ paid the cost on the cross for us to be unified on earth. I wish I had a witness here. These seven one statements are the pillars of the church. The foundational bedrock upon which the church stands. And the unifying forces holding the church together. Unity uh, rests upon the three persons of the Trinity. God the Father who is over all. Yes, Lord. And he's through all and he's in all. God the Son, which is Jesus Christ, who is the one Lord. God the Spirit who unites us together under the Lordship of Christ. Uh, unity lies in the immovable fact that we were brought to one faith, uh, through one baptism, uh, through one spirit, uh, and united in one body of Christ uh, and being led by one hope, uh, and that's founded in Christ's return. He is the one Yes, sir, I feel my help coming out. He is the one. When, when you look at someone and you call them the one, you're suggesting that they're the only. Yeah, no one can compare to them. No one can compete with them. No one can challenge him. Anybody know God to be the only? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by me. He is the only God that lifts me when I'm down, that heals me when I'm sick, uh, that delivers me when I'm trapped, uh, that leads me when I'm lost, uh, that guides me when I can't find my way. He is the only, yes. He's the only in Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, is in prison. He has been preaching repentance to the people. It's John who leaped in his mother's womb. He offered God a premature shout because he shouted before he was ever delivered because Jesus came into his presence. It was John the Baptist, the voice crying out in the wilderness, the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. It was John who heard God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But in Matthew chapter 11, John is now in prison and Jesus is not doing what John expected him to do since he was the son of God. So John sends his disciples to ask Jesus a question. Are you the one or should we look for another one? Have I got one witness here? Are you the one or should we look for another one? And I don't know about you, but I pose that question to God myself. When life beat me down, when problems overwhelm me, when troubles come in like a flood, I wonder 
wonder today, God, are you the one? Or should I look for another one? Have I got one witness here? Have you ever been there before? Well, it felt as if God was not hearing your prayers. Have you ever been there before? Well, it felt as if God was not on your side. And you posed the question, are you the one? Or should I look for another one? Jesus never answered John's question. He just told his disciples, go tell John the blind can see. Go tell John the lame can walk. Go tell John the deaf can talk. Go tell John the lepers are clean. Go tell John the dead are raised up. Go tell John the poor have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he just let him know I'm not just saying I'm the one, but I'm proving I'm the one. Every day you wake up in the morning, you should testify he is the one. Every day you have life, health, and strength, you should testify he is the one. Every day you got food on your table, you should declare he is the one. Every day you're able to move around, you need to shout in your spirit he is the one. Because one Friday on the hill called Calvary, he died for your sins and mine. But early one, the one that delivers, the one that set free, the one that lifts, the one that comforts, the one that heals, the one that bends, the one that'll be right there, the one that'll walk with you, the one that'll talk with you, the one that'll hold you and rock you late in the midnight hour when your burdens hold you down. He is the one. Won't he do it? Won't he walk with you? Won't he lead you? Won't he guide you? Say yes! He is the one. He is the one. Thank you for joining us. We're so happy that you're here. Please continue to connect with Mount Zion Baptist Church on our Facebook page, YouTube channel, and our website, mtzlife.com. We continually put out new content, so be on the lookout and turn those notifications on. Looking forward to seeing you back here soon. Have a blessed day.